I do want to welcome you back to the second installment of the series that we began last week, New in the Area. And uh, as you think about where we were last week, we talked about a change of address. And we talked about the fact that we reside here in this world. Followers of Christ are still residing here in this world, but our citizenship because of Christ, in Christ, has been transferred to heaven. We are, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. But that also brings in some unique challenges. Anytime you join a new community, there are going to be adjustments that have to be made. If you join a new company or a new team, a new gym or a new church, then you're going to have to unlearn some old ways, some old habits and old practices and learn new ways, new habits, new practices, new people and a new way of doing things. That's just kind of part of it. And there's kind of a two-step process that happens. When you join that new community, whatever it is, business, team, church, maybe, maybe you get married and you join another family. That's a whole nother sermon series. But when you join a new community, you affiliate with them. You, you, you sign on the dotted line and you're there. That, that kind of happens more or less in an instant. But there's another part of this joining the community that goes far beyond just affiliating with that community. That's the, that's the process by which you, you assimilate into the community. That's the process by which you, you integrate into that, that community. There are adjustments that have to be made by the individual as well as the institution. And hopefully and prayerfully, as we assimilate, as that integration happens, both are strengthened, both are made better by it. And I think we can all think of, of situations where just because you affiliated doesn't necessarily mean that you assimilated. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever been in a work environment where, where somebody new was brought into the team and it said, this is our new executive VP of blah, blah, blah. And yet six months later, it just didn't work out. You ever been there? Anybody just see a show of hands? Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. That's always a good time, isn't it? Well, assimilation, you know, assimilation is a fascinating word. It's actually original, its original use was as a medical term. It was used to describe that which was absorbed and became part of the body. That which was absorbed and became part of the body was said to have assimilated into the organism. Now, that's not just good biology. That's actually incredible theology. That's, that's what God calls us to as citizens of heaven, as part of his family of faith. We are called to assimilate as we integrate individually within the institution of the family of faith, the capital C church. You know, years ago, I got up early one Saturday morning. It was a cold winter morning. I got up because I wanted to go to a CrossFit competition that was being held here in Austin. And just for the record, I was a spectator. <laughs> and I got up cold, cold January morning. It was being held at a, at a CrossFit affiliate downtown. I got there at about 7.30, 7.45, and there were already hundreds of people walking around. I mean, the, the spectators, your pastor notwithstanding, the spectators were yoked. I mean, just like, whoom. where's the next heat? I mean, and that was the girls. So 
I'm kidding. So I'm watching this unfold, and the first event was a really fascinating competition. It, it was, it was a, this was the, this was like the, um, the pro level, mas- not the masters, but like the pro level CrossFitters, guys who were pretty much professional CrossFit athletes. They were all sponsored, and, and the first competition was a men's thing, and, and it consisted of five different exercises. It was a timed event. They started out with 50 heavy rope jumps, single rope jumps, like heavy, big, big ropes, 50 times. Then they had to complete 40 unbroken pull-ups. Unbroken means you have to do 40 pull-ups without stopping. If you come off the bar before 40, you go back to zero. Yeah. Then you come off of the bar and you do 30 thrusters with 50-pound dumbbells in each hand. Thrusters just is like squat up, squat up, 30 times, unbroken. You can't stop. After that, they were supposed to do 20 toes to bar. You hang from the pull-up bar and you bring your toes up and touch the bar, toes to bar, 20 times, unbroken. The last element of this competition was 10 dual dumbbell ground to overhead. So 50-pound dumbbells, you take off the ground, put overhead, off the ground, overhead, 10 times, then you die. That's the competition. So the first bell goes off, and I mean, these guys are animals. They are absolutely annihilating this thing. 50, whoo, 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 just jump. Crowds going crazy. I mean, it was, un, it was just the, the environment was electric. Most of them finished within a few seconds of each other, and then they proceed to the pull-up rig. The pull-up rig goes, and they start just doing these 40 pull-ups, unbroken. But the pull-ups provided a little bit bigger challenge than the heavy rope jumps. And there were a few people who, who were struggling with the pull-ups. Some guys went all the way through 40 and moved on to the next thing. But as the competition proceeded, there was one guy in particular who was really struggling with the pull-ups. I looked at him and I went, I feel you, bro. <laughs> and he would come off of the rig like it, 25, 28, 30 pull-ups. He just couldn't, he just couldn't get past it, and then he'd have to start all over again. Well, a few minutes after it had started, some of these guys had powered through the whole thing, done it, and were finished. They, they finished with the ground to overheads, dropped the dumbbell. Good job, man. But then something fascinating happened. As they started to catch their breath, they caught sight of the guy who was struggling with the pull-ups, and he was still over there on the pull-up rig. I mean, working so hard. And one by one, as they finished the competition, they came over like, come on, man, you got this, man. You're yoked, you're ripped, you're unbelievable. Come on, man. Cheering him on. The crowd all of a sudden began to focus all of their attention on this one guy who kept struggling to finish the pull-ups. Finally, 37, 38, 39, 40. The place erupted, went absolutely ballistic nuts. It was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. People came out of the stands cheering him on, patting him on the back. You did it. I can't believe it. Now, he still had three more exercises to go. <laughs> but because there was a time cap, time cap on this competition, he didn't, he didn't finish the competition. But it was in the middle of that celebration that I realized something so 
spiritually profound, so, so eternally true that I know I didn't think of it. I, I believe with everything I had, this was a thought that God deposited in my mind and in my heart as that crowd was celebrating this guy in that moment. I had this realization that is what God wants for the church. That is why God has given us the gift of the church. We come together as followers of Christ with our own individual strengths and weaknesses. Some of us have trouble with spiritual pull-ups. Some of us power on through. But together we challenge each other. Together we encourage each other when we struggle. Together we learn. Together God calls us with your strengths and weaknesses coupled with my weaknesses and strengths and supernaturally he brings us together as we assimilate into the body of Christ. And as I thought about that, that morning there on that cold January morning, I thought, man, I want to do this. I, I want to go learn how to do 40 unbroken pull-ups. That kind of encouragement, that kind of power, that kind of strength, that kind of joy when you get through it. And again, I thought, that's kind of how the church is supposed to be, that when, the people, when people on the outside look in and see those of us who have assimilated into this family of faith, they'll want to say, I, I want a part of that. I, I want to experience that. I want to live that out. And that's, that's kind of what 1 Peter is all about. That's what this whole series that we're looking at the book of 1 Peter is all about, about assimilating into this new citizenship, assimilating into becoming a full court follower of Jesus Christ. This is a challenge because there is the individual, the personal side of faith, and to be sure, it is absolutely individual. To be sure, Jesus meets us exactly where we are personally, uniquely, but it's never designed to happen in a vacuum. It's always intended to be integrated. It's always intended for us that we would assimilate into this community of faith as we become more like Christ. To become more like Christ is the ultimate goal. Assimilation is the process by which God makes us more like Christ as we integrate into the bride of Christ, the family of faith, the church, capital C, church. As we affiliate with a church, a local church somewhere for the purposes of becoming more like Christ, for the purposes of joining in that community. And so assimilation is a big part of this. As we saw last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to this, this fledgling fellowship of churches out on the frontier of the gospel. They're almost a thousand miles away from the epicenter of the faith in Jerusalem where, where literally the earth shook and changed the world as the church was born. This is about 30 years, give or take, after that moment there at Pentecost, the year 33 A.D., Peter is writing to these churches, and in chapter 1, he reminds them of who they are because of whose they are. He says, I want you to always remember who you are. I want you to remember that spiritually you were bought and paid for 
by the blood and the body of God's own son. Now act like it. Live like it. Own that identity. Own that citizenship. But because you have that citizenship, you are now foreigners and aliens in this world, he says. He goes, we're just kind of, we're just passing through this area, but while we're passing through, God has work for us to do. God has work to do in us and on us and, by the way, through us. And so chapter one is more about who and why, but in chapter two, he pivots and he moves from who and why to how and what. He starts to get incredibly practical as he talks about how we live in this faith, how we live out this faith, and what does it look like? What do we do with this faith? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3. He says, so, so he's saying now, keep it in mind everything that we've already said. Therefore, because of chapter 1, now get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Can we take a time out right there? Can you just take a time? Go ahead and take that verse down for a second. Unkind speech. Can I tell you about a moment I had this week? I was driving. And I was driving four miles an hour over the speed limit. So I was technically, I mean, technically breaking the law. But I wasn't like flying, okay? And a car in the other lane that I was going past, about to go past, pulled over into my lane without accelerating, by the way. And the words that came out of your pastor's mouth, I I didn't cuss or anything like that, but I went, are you kidding me? And then I remembered the sermon I had been studying for. (laughs) Get rid of all unkind speech. Now, I could say, I didn't say anything mean. I said, are you kidding me? But that wasn't what was going on in your pastor's heart at that moment. (laughs) I was thinking, this is the left lane. Everybody since Moses was a baby knows this is the passing lane. If you pull into this lane, you better run with the big dogs, hoss. <laughs> now, I'm not proud of that. I'm not saying that it's okay. Matter of fact, I'm saying I was wrong. We continue. All unkind speech. And he says this, verse 2, like newborn babies... You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Now, he's not insulting them. He's not saying, y'all are immature in your faith. You're like little babies. He's saying, no, 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 no. Think about a, a baby who is hungry. A baby who is hungry, the only thing they have is their voice. They cry, why, why, why? He's saying, that's what I want you to be like for the full experience of salvation. Don't settle for just playing church. Don't settle for just hydroplaning through. I want you 
to cry out for the pure spiritual milk. I want you to experience the fullness of salvation. Don't jack around. That's the original Greek, <laughs> give or take. That's what he's saying to us. God doesn't want you playing church. He wants you to experience the fullness of what Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead to facilitate in your life. So like a baby crying out for this nourishment, God, I want the whole thing. I want the full meal deal. Let's go. I ain't playing around anymore because we live in a hostile environment. We live in a world that is not messing around. We live in a world that is literally dying for the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. So let's go. Matter of fact, do this. Turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face. Sunday morning, 9.15, you're the more spiritually mature of the people who come to church here. <laughs> smile on your face and tell them, let's go. What Peter's saying here, not just to these churches, but to us, practice the community's customs. Practice this community's customs. Don't just pay lip service to it. Don't, don't just cross the line and affiliate, but rather really and truly assimilate into this community. Live like you were saved by Christ. Be a part of what's going on. Participate, collaborate, assimilate. Get in the game. And, and that's why it's so important that we've got each other's back. What did Jesus say? He said, by this all men will know you are mine by how you love one another. By how you love each other. By, by how you, you give each other the grace to struggle, the grace to wrestle, the grace maybe sometimes to come off of the pull-up bar spiritually and go, hey, I got you. I'm not going to tell you that you cleared the bar, but I'm going to help you get back up. And so we, we practice the customs of this community. The customs obviously would include baptism. Baptism is a custom of the community. When, when somebody places their faith in Christ, they're baptized. Now, if you were baptized as an infant, that's That's great. But that was a choice that your parents made. I don't care how gifted and talented you were at eight days old. You, you didn't know enough to know that you needed a Savior and, and trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. Biblically, baptism happens after salvation. Communion would be one of the, one of the customs of the community. When we celebrate through the cup and the bread, the bread and the cup, and we, we celebrate the body of Christ. We celebrate the blood of Christ that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. But, but there, are other, there are other customs that, that are laid out for us in the Bible. The Bible is an incredible, incredible gift. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
The Bible is a gift from God, pure and simple. It's a gift. And it's given to us out of God's grace, out of his mercy. It is his love letter. And something that has helped me to understand the intent of Scripture is to to acknowledge the fact that there there is a prescriptive facet to the Bible. What I mean by prescriptive is there there are absolutely do's and don'ts that are given to us in the Bible about how to live in relationship with God. There there are. And I think a more comprehensive view of Scripture is that it is descriptive, that the Bible describes what it looks like to live in and to live out the abundant life that Christ has died and rose from the dead to give us. It's a description of of the fullest expression of human flourishing and thriving that there is. And so when you start to understand that, you start to go, this is is actually what God wants for me. It's not God wanting something from me. It's not God keeping a scorecard and enjoying it when he gets to give me a demerit. But rather, it's, it's God explaining This is what life is. This is what death is. This is blessing. This is sin. Eugene Peterson was a pastor and a theologian and a prolific author. And he actually has, he wrote during, he's passed away now, but he wrote a a pretty accurate paraphrase, modern day paraphrase of the entire Bible. This is how he paraphrases this passage we just read. Peterson says, every part of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. That's the Bible. Our good buddy, who's actually spoken here before, Andy Andrews. Andy is a New York Times best-selling author. He's a consultant to Fortune 50 companies. Uh, he's advised national championship college football teams as well as being a resource for our special operations forces in the military. He's pretty good at what he does. And Andy tells the story when he was growing up in Alabama about a, a game that he and his friends used to play in the summertime. They were 10, 11 years old. They, they would meet at the neighborhood pool and they would all gather in the deep end in a circle and tread water. And one by one, they would go to the center of the circle and try to see how high out of the water they could propel themselves using just their arms and legs. They they called the game Dolphin. It was like, you know, Flipper coming out of the water. And there was one guy who was about a year and a half older than the rest of them. His name was Aaron, who was head and shoulders better than everybody. He was a year and a half older, and at that age, that's a pretty significant difference. And and he he dominated the game of Dolphin until, until one day Andy's best friend, Kevin Perkins, who's a great guy in his own right. Kevin did something unique. He swam to the center of the circle. Instead of trying to propel himself upwards, he swam to the very, very bottom of the deep end. And there on the deep end, they started watching. They were looking around going, what is he doing? He got on the bottom and he he squatted as low as he could. And from that squatted position on the bottom of the deep end, he shot up out of the water and obliterated every world record that had ever been held for dolphins. But that childhood experience became the foundation for a book that Andy wrote called The Bottom of the Pool. 
the bottom of the pool. And here's how Andy describes this realization. He said, by changing our understanding and belief about what was possible, Kevin had actually changed the game forever. He then goes on to say, we need to be careful not to believe everything we think. You see, God's word is the basis of reality. It is the foundation. It is the bottom of the pool for a Christ follower. It's where we find firm footing and it's a launching pad for wisdom, for truth, for insight, for discernment. The Bible says for right living, for flourishing and thriving. Now, there are, there are parts of the Bible that are inconvenient, to be sure. There are parts that are tough to understand, to be sure. But I think it's important that we understand how important, how crucial it is that we trust Scripture. You and I live in a world that I think could probably be described as drunk and disorderly. Our, our world, our culture is kind of staggering and stumbling around from event to event, day to day, completely unmoored, unhinged, detached from reality. And yet God has given us this description of reality for human flourishing, for people to be everything he's created us to be in relationship with him. This is the gift of Scripture. This is us coming together and assimilating as we practice these customs of this community. But Peter pivots. Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12 in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, now, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, there's that term again, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Verse 13, for the Lord's sake, now see, that, that, that changes things, for God's sake, Submit to all human authority, whether the king is the head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Which almost every single one of us universally would go, whoa, 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 wait about, what about, what about if the king tells you to do something that's wrong? Okay, clearly, if the king or the laws that are passed tell you to do something that is wrong, then you do not follow those if they contradict Scripture. If they contradict the customs of the community as laid out in the Bible, not just what people have created. But by and large, most laws are there for order and living in harmony. And he's saying here, for the Lord's sake, submit. For the Lord's sake, submit. Go down to verse 18. <clears throat> Verse 18, he takes it a big step further. He says, now you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. 
Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you were beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now, I chose, obviously we don't read every single verse of 1 Peter as we go through this series, but I chose to read that for a very specific reason. This in no way, in no way is some kind of a humanly twisted and perverted endorsement of slavery. You, you can't get there biblically. If you want to look at the history of the world, the church, followers of Jesus Christ led the charge for the abolition of slavery. But what he's saying here, what he's saying about submitting to the authority of the king is that there is this idea, this notion that permeates the Christian faith, and it's the notion of submission. Submission. And, man, I got to tell you, as a human being, and I probably, probably as, a, as a guy, although I think it could be a challenge maybe if you're not a guy, but as a guy, that just goes all over me. Submit. You got the wrong Marine, fella. Submit. Submit. So, so Peter says, you practice the customs of the community, but here he's telling us, number two, protect the character of the community. Protect the character of the community, and you protect the character of the community by emulating the leader of the community. The character of this community is determined by Jesus Christ, by who he is, that we might accurately and powerfully convey the character of Christ to a world that desperately needs it. But the way that we do that is by submission. Submission. Well, Mac, that, I, I don't know about that. I get it. Verse 21, for God called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. I don't like this. I get it. I do. <laughs> well, you, you don't know the people. I, I, I get it. The Son of God. The author of all authority. Submitted. He submitted to the will of the Father. When he didn't want to, when he didn't feel like it, we know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way, any way that I don't have to go through the cross, please, now be a good time. He didn't want to. He didn't feel like it. But he submitted. 
He submitted, and we are called to submit. Both times, when he references the king and when he references slaves, Peter says, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, with God in mind, you submit even when you're wronged. You submit for God's sake. Parents, one of the greatest things we can do for our kids is to teach them to submit. To not run interference for them when they have an unjust or erratic teacher or coach. Don't send the email. Let your kid handle it. I'm not talking about in kindergarten, but most kindergarten teachers are pretty sane. But in elementary school, middle school, high school, high school, your kid's getting ready to leave home and you're going to send an email to a teacher? Just get ready for them to live in your basement. Because that's what you're doing. You're delaying their development. You're telling them, I don't think you can handle it. Yeah, they're going to encounter unjust rules. They're going to encounter people who are erratic or unreasonable. But better they learn how to deal with it then in school than they do when their paycheck depends on it. Anybody in here ever had an erratic boss? If anybody on our staff raises your hand right now, (laughs) it's just going to hurt. Different when the paycheck's involved. Yeah, he's erratic, but I got to eat. And, and all of that is really ancillary. That, that's, that's side street stuff. We submit to Christ. We surrender our lives. You want to know how to assimilate? Submit. Now, here's the thing about Jesus, though. It's not erratic. It's not unreasonable. As a matter of fact, he promises when we submit, then we will get what Peter talks about in this passage we just read, the full experience of salvation. Full, overflowing, abundant, more than you can even handle. Because he loves you perfectly. You know he loves you perfectly because he died for you. He died for you out of love, and he rose again in authority. He has authority over life and death. That means there is nothing in your life he can't handle. There is nothing in your life beyond the reach and the scope of his power, his authority, and his might. But in order to take advantage of those things, we have to submit. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. It's a hard word. It's a hard word until you remember love. The love of God that he invites us into. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that, then as a church, we would love to give you that opportunity. We would love to invite you to take that step to respond to the grace initiative of Jesus to affiliate but then to begin to assimilate. 
affiliate with Christ, join with Christ in relationship. If that's you, then just pray. Silently, right where you're sitting, just talk to God and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you and I confess my sin to you. I'm not holding anything back. I know that you know it all anyway. And I confess it all so that you might forgive it all. Jesus, I choose to trust you more than I trust me, more than I trust the world. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. just a moment, if you would, remain with your heads bowed. If that was your prayer, whether you're here in the room or you're online, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with what's next. Earlier in the service, Julie referenced that QR card that's in the seat back in front of you. If you're on the front row of a section, it'll be underneath your chair. But if you would just let us know that you did that, you made that response to Christ's grace initiative today, If you're online, there's a place for you to indicate, hey, I raised my hand. We want to help with what comes next. We want to know. We want to celebrate with you. The other thing that we would ask, if you would, as our heads are bowed here in the room for just a moment, would you raise your hand? If that was your prayer and you stepped into that relationship with Christ, would you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head? And know that We celebrate that with you. And our family tradition is here, as you put your hand down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. One life at a time, that is what it's all about. And if that was you this morning, we would love to give you this gift. We have a Bible, we have a journal, and a reading plan. All you need to do is go out to the uh, lobby and at the Hub, and somebody would be happy to give this to you. If you're online, same thing. Let us know that you accepted Christ, and we would love to give you this gift as well. Also remember, next Sunday is Father's Day. You're going to want to make sure that you're here. Invite all the dads you know, but it is not just for dads. We will celebrate them, but it'll be for everyone. Thank you so much and have a great week.